We're going to continue to worship the Lord, and uh, one of the ways we're going to do that is, as a church, we are all about making disciples around the world, and uh, we also simultaneously today are remembering and praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are persecuted around the world, and sometimes those just overlap. Well, today we have a special guest, uh, someone who is... um, making disciples all the way on the other side of the world, as well as had some experiences of persecution himself as well. But um, we are partnered up with him. And so would you just welcome with me all the way from India, Pastor Vinod Abraham. Come on up here, brother. Well, uh, I I know I've joked a a little bit about it, but... uh, you did not come just to worship with us all the way from India, you know, just today, right? He's been traveling for uh, three months, got a couple more months of traveling around the, the U.S. and doing different ministry-related things. But why don't you just tell us a little bit about who you are, family, and your ministry in India? Uh, my name is Vinod Abraham. I'm from India, northwest part of India. That's a state called Punjab. And uh, God has called me to uh, the mission to plant churches in the rural part of India. Uh, There is a lot of mission work going on, but uh, 90% of the missionary concentrate on the urban area. Only 10% of the missionaries go to the rural area. And God has called me uh, uh, to start a ministry called Seva Ministry. And we partner with East West Ministry with which CFC uh, is very much part of it. And uh, we thank the Lord for this church and uh, Sir Rick Brackett, he has led four teams to India. And uh, last year, in, uh, this year, in June, there was a team from this church that has come to our uh, place in Punjab. And we had gone to different villages uh, to evangelize the unreached people. And God has blessed me with a beautiful wife. And I have two kids. My daughter is seven-year-old and my son is uh, five-year-old. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, yeah. Praise the Lord for it. Yeah, it's been neat uh, now our fourth service. So, you know, I've been able to hear uh, four times now just what the Lord has been doing in and through you guys, these unreached people groups in the rural areas of India. And um, our friend here, our brother, has been called by the Lord to be there. Well, also, as you've heard, our church is partnered with him and the ministry there, as well as partnered with East West Ministries. Maybe you've heard of that around the life of the church. And so we have the CFC India Project. We have commended missionaries like uh, the Brackets right here. Go ahead and wave your hand there so we can see at least the back of your heads there. And, uh, and so they're a connect point for this as well. They work for East West. They're also members of our church as well as some other commended missionaries. Here's the goal and the mission of this project is to make disciples by planting churches around India. And so we've been excited about what God has done. We've had uh, a number of short-term teams go so far. Pastor Vinod is there. He's been helping translate. He's been helping lead our groups around, as he just said there last June was the last team. So there are some practical ways we can get involved in what God is doing through our church, through Pastor Vinod, through East West Ministries there in India. We can pray for them. And if you've got a bulletin, there's an insert in there, and there's all sorts of information there. There's, there's ideas of how to pray specifically for this ministry. There's also always the opportunity to give financially. Pray about that. It always takes finances to advance the gospel 
gospel and no matter where you're at in the world. And then also, as you heard, there's been some, some short-term teams from our church to go to India. And so, Lord willing, there'll be another one in 2019. Uh, the details are be, still being formulated, but um, if you are at all interested in going on this team, please talk to Pastor Vinod or Rick. They're going to be outside in the courtyard after service and just pick their brains, let them know you're interested and uh, let's see God continue to make disciple makers there as well. Um, Now also today we are focusing on and praying for the persecuted church and India, unfortunately is one of those places and our brother here has had some experiences so we thought we'd have him share firsthand right here uh, one of his experiences of persecution. Right, Uh, India is one of the places where the persecution is on the rise because of the uh, uh, the fundamentalists of a certain group that doesn't want the advancement of the gospel. And every day we face a lot of challenges in our life. Uh, I'll just share one of the experiences while I was uh, doing a Bible study in one of the believers' home. And uh, they brought in a young guy uh, who was struggling in his life for a number of years. And uh, they invited him for the Bible study. And as I was teaching him, uh, teaching uh, them about the word of God, and he was uh, possessed with the evil spirit, and the evil spirit started to manifest in him. And he started to convulse and roll on the ground, and started to scream and uh, play like snake. And uh, while he was screaming, the neighbors started to get in that house, and uh, his family members also, his brother also got in. And he, they started to see what's happening. And uh, God asked me to pray for him, and I prayed for him. And the evil spirit left him, he was healed. And uh, thereafter, he accepted Christ as his personal savior, and he started to come to church. And uh, uh, when when he started to come to church, his family started to hate him because he's from the upper caste. The Indian society is divided into different castes. And uh, uh, Christians also, they don't see as a faith system, but they see, they they relate it as one of the caste system in India, and they look at that at a very lower level. So for a high caste person to become a Christian, it was, the, it was the, like a breaking away of their uh, social status. So they started to hate us a lot. And uh, thereafter, uh, his brother who saw me uh, on that day, he started to ask his brother, where is that guy who converted you? I want to go and kill him. How come he can uh, convert you? We are Hindus and how come you can go to church? How can you can be converted? But by the grace of God, God, uh, we have the covering of the grace of God and blood of Christ. And uh, still, I'm here sharing the gospel. <laughs> That's right. We don't have to ask you an update. Has he got you yet? You're here, right? <laughs> and, you know, when I hear this, I'm just thinking, man, I've had the opportunity. Many of us have had the opportunity to share the gospel with people. But I don't think any of us here could say that someone's currently out there looking for us, to wanting to kill us. And uh, so this is just, um, it, it just hits at home. You know, as we think about and want to pray for believers around the world, here is a brother right here in front of us. And so let's just pray right now for him and for all of our brothers around the world and our sisters. Father, um, we are one big, great family. And with that mentality of family, we want to remember our brothers and sisters around the world, Christians. We may not know all of them. We don't need to know who they all are, but Lord, because you, we know you know who they are. And you've just asked us to intercede on behalf of them, to pray for them, 
You said to, to be concerned for them as if we were they ourselves in Hebrews. So Father, we just lay before you, Pastor Vinod, his family, other believers. Would you just keep giving them safety in the name of Jesus, so that if that would be your will. Just put a hedge of protection around them and your angels around them. Keep them going to keep making disciples for you and sharing the gospel uh, to the ends of the earth. God, we thank you for what you're already doing there. And so Lord, just help us to not just pray today, but to take this and, and to keep praying as we leave here and keeping them in our memories. And we commit them to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Before I sit, I would like to encourage you uh, to do, uh, do come on a mission trip to India. Uh, we have a very wonderful mission pastor here. And uh, the team is uh, led by uh, Sir Rick and Debbie Ma'am here. So do connect with them. It's going to be a life-transforming time for you. The whole purpose of our life is the Great Commission. Jesus said, go and make disciples, and it will give more meaning and purpose to your life. Thank you. Amen. Let's thank him once more. Thank you. All right. Well, we are going to continue to seek the Lord in the pages of what we call the Bible, the Word of God. And so would you open your Bibles with me and turn them on on those devices of yours and uh, get to what book have we been going through verse by verse? Mark, absolutely, Mark. We're going to be Mark chapter 14 this morning, and uh, we're going to be in verse 53. Now, if you don't have a Bible, as always, get our CFC app. There's a free Bible on that app so that there's no reason why we can't all get a version of the scriptures in front of us so we can follow along. And, and as you're getting your way there, um, uh, I'm going to say something in love here for those who are type A people, which I'm not, um, but type A, love you and we need you. Um, but just so you know, because you look at the bulletin, you see the four points, you got to fill them out. Okay. And you paste the sermon based off of that. Let me just give you a heads up. We're going to take some extra time walking verse by verse and then come through and get the, uh, the four points. And I promise I won't keep you here till three, just two. Okay. Uh, but no, just hang with me. And, and here's what we're going to see today uh, in this passage. We're going to hear and learn about four ways we can respond to persecution in our own lives and, and even address some maybe misconceptions that I've heard in the American church about persecution. Now, it is odd for me to say that we're going to do a sermon about when we're persecuted, when we have a brother here who's literally got someone out there hunting his life as we speak. Uh, and so I want to make this really, really clear that no way, shape or form are we saying we can hold a candlestick up next to what many of our brothers and our sisters around the world are facing for their faith in Christ. And praise God for that, that we live in such a nation that we are protected in so many ways. On the other hand, there is persecution that does occur to Christians in this great nation of ours. And uh, lesser forms, of course, but there is. For instance, I'm talking about Christians in the U.S. who are being mocked by their fellow students at school, mocked by co-workers, mocked by neighbors and friends because they love the Lord. I'm talking about people who are being ostracized. Uh, that you go to break room at work, no one wants to sit by you. You're one of those weird Jesus freaks. Or school lunchtime in the schools and people don't want to hang out with you. I'm talking about Christians who are being cussed at uh, because 
their faith, uh, Christians who have lost their jobs or their businesses because they've stood for Christ, people whose reputations have been marred local community-wise, sometimes nationally because they stood for Christ. I'm talking about Christians in America who have been framed by false accusations, Christians who have had their words twisted against them, and even some who have been physically attacked, spit on, punched, beaten, attempted dry hit and runs uh, with vehicles, and you're like, no, this stuff doesn't happen, and, and actually it does. Even in this great nation, I know of Christians who have had almost all of these things happen to them one way or the other. So we're going to look at that, and again, we're remembering our brothers and sisters who are going through so much worse than us. But there is still persecution, and what can we learn from Jesus in this passage of if it happens to us, how do we respond to it? So here's the context before we jump in. Jesus has now been arrested. He was interrogated in an unjust and ungodly way for sure by a guy named Anas, and Anas basically is like a patriarch of an evil mafia in Israel in those days, and he hated Jesus, and, and uh, it went really bad for Jesus. By the end, Jesus is getting punched in the face, and that's the context that now we're going to pick up. Look at verse 53 of Mark 14. Uh, they led Jesus away to the high priest. The high priest at that time was Caiaphas, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes gathered together. Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the officers and warming himself at the fire. And the scene here is this is the second of six hearings of Jesus's big trials at the end of his life. And uh, he's being uh, tried for, by the religious leaders for blasphemy. Uh, blasphemy is to declare that you are God or that you, you, you get to have the worship that only the one true God should be able to have. And if convicted of it, you are uh, punishable by death, according to the law of God. And so that is what Jesus is being accused of. And look at verse 55 and see how the trial goes. Now, the chief priest and the whole council unbiasedly listened to multiple witnesses accusing Jesus of blasphemy. Is that what your Bible says? No, it doesn't. If it does, throw it away. It's not a good one. All right. Here's the real verse, verse 55. And now, right now, I'm seeing that tweeted. The pastor just told me to throw my Bible away. Okay. It was a joke. All right. Look at verse 55. Uh, now, the chief priest and the whole council, what? Kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they were not finding any. So up to this point, we now know that Jesus was abandoned by his friends and family, and he's guilty before proven guilty. Well, how do we say it in America? We are what before proven guilty? We are innocent. And praise God for that part of our judicial system. In fact, that's actually founded out of the Bible, by the way. But that's not how it's going for Jesus that night. This group is hell-bent against him. Everybody, imagine you are going to trial. Your life is on the line. And you walk into the courtroom and you find out that the jury and the judge are all hell-bent against you already. That's how it's going to go down. That would not be fun, but that is Jesus' night. That's what's happening to him. Let's go on in uh, verse 56. And, and many were giving false testimony against him, but their testimony was not consistent. 
So now we see that Jesus is not just abandoned by his friends and family. He's guilty before proven guilty. He's also now being falsely accused, also known as slandered by people. And um, that's not fun, obviously, as well. And just this last week, uh, I heard about some brothers and sisters, Christians in Michigan. They have been, for over a year, they've been going to a local abortion mill and in love, intervening for the lives of pre-born people outside of the clinic. And this is so cool to report. In just over a year, 77 babies' lives have been saved because of their ministry. Praise the Lord on that. Praise God. And so they've been doing that. As you can imagine, the manager of that clinic has not been happy with them over the last year. And she's been trying to figure out a way to get rid of them. And so next thing you know, just within a month, last month or so, they saw her come out to the parking lot. She took some pictures of their license plates. She started moving some things around and taking pictures and trying to figure out what she was doing. Then she put her camera up, she pressed record, and she starts yelling at them. I've told you guys so many times, stop harassing me and you guys won't leave me alone. And she stages this whole dramatic thing and then presses stop, drives down to the police station and and files a restraining order against the Christians, gets it so that the Christians can no longer be near her, which she is at the clinic, which means they can no longer go to the clinic. In other words, she framed them. Just last month in Michigan, Christians framed, falsely accused, loved ones, it happens in the States. Now, here's a good news. The rest of that story is the Christians had their own cameras rolling the whole time and had it rolling before when she was framing and setting up everything. And so, Lord willing, in just a matter of days, there'll be a court and they'll have their day in court and it'll be overturned. That's what we need to pray for. But they're falsely accused. And it's going to happen when we follow the Lord, even sadly here in America. And that's what was going on with Jesus. Now, the Jews aren't done with them yet. They're going to do something else to them. Let's look at verse 57. Uh, Some stood up and began to give false testimony against him, saying, verse 58, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. Not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. So now we have Jesus has been abandoned by his friends and family, guilty before proving guilty, falsely accused, and now his words are being twisted against him. You say, where do you, where do you get that out of that verse? Well, they make an accusation. Jesus said something in verse 58. Let's look at what he really said, John 2, 19. This is what Jesus really said. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. When you look in our passage, the false accusers said that Jesus said, I will destroy this temple. In other words, they're accusing him of destroying the temple of God. That's not a good thing, unless you're God himself, right? Which he is. But the point is they interjected words he never said. They were twisting his words. Sometimes when we follow the Lord, we're going to get our words twisted by those who do not love Jesus Christ. Uh, I've had the opportunity to uh, be interviewed by multiple media outlets over the years from unique circumstances and You know, whether it's when I was talking with CNN or New York Times or European TV stations or or state TV stations, no matter who it is, you know what I love about the media? Whenever you talk to them, you know they're going to 100% accurately report everything you said. They're never going to edit anything out. They're never going to twist your words. 
And if you believed everything I just said, you, that's not how the media works at all. In fact, I knew that. So the first time I had an opportunity with the TV station, uh, they were going to do a story about something God was doing in the life of our church. And, and it was going to be played on evening news. And I was so excited about it that I wanted that most beautiful, awesome, powerful name above every other name, the name of, what's his name again? That was okay. That was okay. Let's try it one more time. It's such a beautiful name, right? I wanted the most powerful, beautiful, blessed name above every other name. His name is what? Jesus. To be declared on the TV waves across the state. So, but I knew that they might edit his name out. Maybe you've heard of that happening. So I said the name of Jesus in my interview so many times. I mean, they probably already thought I was crazy because I'm a Christian, but then they really thought I was crazy how many times I said his name. But I was determined they weren't going to get it all out. Well, I sit down 530 that night and I'm watching and sure enough, they're good at editing. That's all I got to say. They somehow got Jesus' name out of all of that. You know, my words were twisted and it didn't really cause me much harm if you think about it. But sometimes when we follow the Lord, our words are going to be twisted and it's going to cause some harm in our lives. Just last week, my sixth grade son, he he was at public school. Some kids found out he was a Christian and for some reason they came up to him and they said, hey, uh, do you hate gays? And he's like, well, the act is a sin. And and they said, see, you think you're better than everybody else and you hate gays. You know, they just twist our words. I mean, this happens sadly too often, whether adults or kids, it's, it's gonna happen. It's what happened to Jesus. And so we have all this stuff going on to him. Let's see how the the rest of the, the trial goes for him. Verse 60, the high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus saying, do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But he, Jesus, kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And now Jesus is going to straight up answer their question. And Jesus said, I am. Does everybody have our seatbelts on today? Because he's about to drop some heavy stuff. You ready for this? Jesus says, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man seating at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And then he just took the mic and dropped it and he walked out. <laughs> that's not really how it went, but that's how it would have felt. In other words, the way my kids would have said it is they would have said, you just got burned. That's how that went down. You're like, I don't understand. The, the language of G- what Jesus said to these guys was Old Testament judgment God language. That's what, he's turning the table. He's like, you think you're judging me. Actually, just to remind you, I'm gonna judge you someday. Yes, I will accept the claim that I am the divine God. I have the authority to judge. And guess what? I'm gonna come back in the future, flying in the sky, and I'm gonna judge my enemies. Oh, and by the way, that's gonna be anybody that falsely accused me, for example. And I'll tell you what, their response by the crowd, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Because look at their response, verse 63. Tearing his clothes, the high priest said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him deserving of death. And some began to spit at him and to blindfold him and to beat him with their fist and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers received him with slaps in the face. What we have in his trial 
before the Jewish leaders here is clearly Jesus being persecuted, ill-treated, shown hostility. And you know what's so good though, is even as we hear this, it's so sad to see this, but we today can learn at least four kinds of responses. What do we do, Jesus, when we are persecuted? How we saw you go through it. And here's the first thing, never return evil for evil. When we are given evil in the form of persecution, let's make sure we never return evil for evil. Uh, Jesus had a lot of evil done to him, didn't he? He was, he was proven, he was guilty before he's even proven guilty. He's falsely accused. His words are being twisted and he's being physically beaten. But did Jesus do any of that stuff back against them? No. I mean, we kind of take this for granted, don't we? Uh, Jesus could have... For instance, hey, Peter, yeah, you out by the fire. I know you're out there, coward. Get in here. And, and I need another witness and, and uh, made up some slander against his false accusers. Hey, Peter, remember when these guys were giving yo mama jokes about Caiaphas? You know, he could have like done the mud slinging stuff that sadly we see sometimes in politics and whatnot in life, right? Jesus could have stooped to their level and played the same kind of game with them. But he didn't. He never returned evil for evil. In fact, Peter remembered that later when he wrote his own letter, 1 Peter 2.21. He says, for you Christians have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you. He, Peter, when he's writing this, he has the, the trials in his mind, what he remembers and the crucifixion of Jesus. He says, leaving you an example for you to follow in the steps. What's Jesus' example? Jesus committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats. Jesus never stooped to their level. I don't know about you, but I have found that when I'm engaging in love with people who are a little hostile to Christianity, to Christians, to the ways of God, that uh, half the battle is knowing what to say. How do I respond to that thing they just said? That's half the battle. You know what the other half of the battle is for me? It's saying the what in a Christ-like way. It's saying the what in a way that is like Jesus and not what my flesh wants to do. In other words, when someone's yelling at me, what do I wanna do back? I want to yell back in my flesh. When someone's mocking me, what do I want to do? I want to, I'm going to mock you. You know, I'm on the side of truth. You know, I, you know, and I want to, in my flesh, return, if you will, evil for evil. But that's not how we are to be. Jesus says he wants us to have humility. He wants us to love our enemies, forgive them, and look to him as our example. And so next time that we are being persecuted in some way, shape, or form, do not stoop to their level. Ask the Spirit, and he will help us to do that. There's another thing we can learn about how to respond to persecution from watching Jesus. Here it is. Entrust justice to God when it doesn't occur. Entrust justice to God when it doesn't occur. We already know the ending of the story, don't we? We know how his trials go. He wrongfully is convicted and he is murdered on a cross. Justice was robbed from Jesus that day, wasn't it? 
You know, Jesus even knew that was going to happen as he went through it because, uh, listen to what else Peter said in that passage we were in earlier, Jesus uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him, that's the Father, who judges righteously. What does that mean that Jesus was entrusting himself to the Father who judges righteously? That means that Jesus was um, giving, handing over the responsibility is what entrusting means. Handing over the responsibility of what? That justice be served today. Uh, Jesus isn't gonna bring the justice, although he easily could have, but he handed that responsibility to the Father. Why? Because he knew there was this great terrible day in the future coming called Judgment Day. And he knew that every wrong would be made right someday. And he gave that responsibility to the Father. And when we are persecuted, may we do the same and trust justice to God when it doesn't occur. Now, I wanna, I wanna address a, a difference though between us and Jesus in his trials. And it addresses a, a misconception sometimes I hear within American Christianity at times, but here, here's the difference though between Jesus and ourselves now and is this, Jesus didn't defend himself at all. We can and we should when we are persecuted for the faith. Jesus did not defend himself at all, but we as God's people can and we should, not physically, but we can appeal to laws and whatnot. We can speak up when Jesus didn't. Let me explain. I know this is like a big change for some people. Don't throw anything at me yet. Don't run out on me yet. Hear, hear me lay this out, okay? Jesus is different in this. Jesus wanted to die. You know that? Jesus, like, there's a reason Jesus came from the beautiful throne of God in heaven into our screwed up, messed up world on earth. And it was for one sole reason. It was to die on a cross, to pay the price for the sins, my sins, your sins, for ours, to actually be able to be forgiven, to then save us since we can go to heaven with him. This was the sole reason Jesus came to this world. This is different than us. And it's because of that, that's why he didn't defend himself. That's why he didn't. And this is different because you and I, we are not to go around looking for persecution. Like if you're doing that, please stop, okay? We're not to go around, I wanna die a martyr's death. Like that's not healthy in your mind, all right? Like we, we're different than Jesus, okay? He came knowing I'm gonna die. That's how it's gonna go, right? But we have been called actually different things in the Bible, in the New Testament. We're called to survive, to endure, to persevere, to be as shrewd as snakes, to keep making disciples. And if persecution happens, so be it. But it's different. And here's the misconception I hear sometimes from Christians is that just as Jesus was silent before his accusers, when we are accused and we are persecuted, we should never defend ourselves. Oh, it's wrong theology, brothers and sisters. And they'll look at these passages, they'll like quote this one here. Here's the thing. This verse says nothing about not defending yourself. It just says, don't return evil for evil. It's very different than, than, than what Jesus did. In fact, um, that's, if that's how it's supposed to go, if that's the mentality that when we are persecuted, we are to remain silent, not defend ourselves whatsoever, that means we need to call our Christian brother in Colorado, the baker, that's been sued, you know, sued and, and, and wrongfully treated for his faith and saying, you're wrong that you ever hired a lawyer. That would be like saying to the organization called Alliance for Defending Freedom, a whole organization of Christian lawyers, 
that your, your whole organization must be of the devil. <laughs> I'm gonna hit this home even more. That's like saying to our kid or our grandchild who comes home bullied because of their faith at school, saying, I hope you didn't report that to the teacher or to the dean of discipline because you need to be like Jesus and be quiet and not say anything back because that's how Jesus did it. I hope and I pray there's nobody giving that counsel to our kids or grandkids. Instead, 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 here's what Jesus said. He said in places like in Matthew 10, 18 through 20, when you stand before the courtrooms, um, don't worry about what you're gonna say. He doesn't say when you stand before courtrooms, when you stand before the Dean of Discipline, when you stand before whatever, you're not allowed to say anything like me. No, he said, when you stand, don't worry about what you're gonna say. The Holy Spirit's gonna give you the words to say. And guess what you see throughout the New Testament after Jesus left, the church goes to courtrooms and defends themselves and appeals, get this, to the laws of the land. You know why? Because the government's ordained by God. The laws are from God. And they appeal to those things. Paul appealed to Caesar because they gotta keep going, right? And so it's very different than Jesus because he wanted to die. But let me make this. This is where we connect the, the point. After we have rightfully appealed to the laws of the land, sometimes justice will still be robbed from us as God's people. Sometimes injustice will still occur. And it's at that moment that we can now connect with Jesus on this. That he is saying, Son and daughter, I know that you have had justice robbed from you, but you can do the same thing that I did. Entrust to the Father that justice one day will be served. In the meantime, love your enemies, pray for your enemies, and forgive them. And I understand that this point flies over probably most of our heads if we've never experienced a persecution that we had injustice served. But I know for anybody that has had to go through injustice, this point speaks to us, doesn't it? Because we know someday it'll be made right. Praise God for that. I wanna make another point about this whole idea of laws and legal stuff and lawyers and all that. Did you know there's a lawyer mentioned in the Bible a lot? Like a really big lawyer? And his name is Jesus. Now, your, our translations in our Bibles a lot of times don't use the term lawyer, but they use the term advocate. And in places like in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it talks about that Jesus Christ is our advocate. He is our lawyer. You say, what does that mean? First of all, Jesus not only died on the cross, rose from the dead to pay the price for our sins to be forgiven, but also he says, hey, put your faith in me, surrender your life to me, I'll forgive you. And so on your judgment day, because every one of us is gonna have to give an account before the Father on our judgment day, the Father is the judge, we're gonna have our day in court before our creator. But Jesus says, if you give your life to him on that day, he's gonna step in as our lawyer, as our advocate, and he's gonna say, Father, they're innocent because of me. As Christians, man, I hope that stirs our hearts because we don't deserve that at all, do we? But that's what Jesus has done for us and that's what he's promised to do for us. And if you're not confident that Jesus is your lawyer, your advocate, what are you waiting for? He did it all for you. Believe in him, surrender your life to him today. Make sure he stands in between you 
and the judge because he loves you. There's a couple other things we can learn about persecution. Look at this, here's one. Looking at Jesus, we can, say, we can learn this. Let's expect persecution when you're dangerous. Let's expect persecution when you live a dangerous life. For instance, Jesus was never surprised. We don't see him going, oh no, I didn't know this was gonna happen. You know, I didn't know they were gonna do it. Like he never, he was never surprised because he knew that when you are dangerous against Satan, persecution just comes with the job. And so he, he was never surprised. And here's another misconception I've heard in American Christianity. It, it, some brothers and sisters, bless their heart, right? You know, is they, is they come up with this idea that if you really like Jesus, everybody will kind of like you, even unbelievers. They'll kind of, they'll at least be nice to you, you know, and they might disagree, but versus that if a Christian starts facing persecution, someone's making fun of them, someone's giving them a hard time, someone's mad at them, that I have heard Christians say to the, the persecuted believer, you must have done something wrong because Jesus is basically our hugs and muffins teddy bear Jesus that we have in our minds, that, that, that he just came and he was just so much about love, just so much about love. And they overemphasize the love of Jesus and somehow, shape or form, they forget that he died like persecuted, died. And then we turn it to, but to others and we say, you as a Christian must have done something wrong to deserve that. Listen to what, listen to what God says about that. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. Is anybody here desire to live godly in Christ Jesus? Raise your hand. Anybody there with me? Like, in other words, you want to live on fire for Jesus. I want the most holy life because I want to honor the Lord that I love. And this is what Jesus says. Great, you'll be persecuted. Thanks for that promise, Lord. You'll start praying the promises of God into our life. Don't forget this one. <laughs> He's saying, listen, when you're dangerous for me, it's going to happen. Flip it around. Well, but I thought if I was all loving and, you know, then everybody would kind of like us because we're, you know, Christians should be the most loving people ever. Well, this is what Jesus says when everybody likes you. He said this to the Pharisees, woe to you when all men speak well of you. For their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. See, the, the Pharisees, they, they loved everybody liking them so much that they were willing to disobey God to get that man-pleasing desire. It, it, in other words, it's not a good thing, brothers and sisters, if we are not facing any form of persecution by anybody in our lives. It, it actually should come with a job, but here's the if. If we are getting to the front lines of the battle, if we are actually becoming a threat and a danger to Satan and his kingdom, you say, how, does that, how do you do that? You go and engage the lost world with the loving gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we are engaging unbelievers with the gospel, when we are standing up for the things of God in our society, you better believe it's gonna start happening. And you can start expecting that persecution is going to occur. I have learned now, walking with Christ over 30 years of my own life, I have learned that I can avoid persecution pretty well if I want to. I stop going to the front lines. I stopped sharing the gospel with unbelievers, stopped trying to have spiritual conversations with unbelievers. I stopped standing up for the things of God in society. Instead, I crawl into my Christian bubble hole and I go to my family group and I go to my church service and I only hang out with Christians and I stop talking to my unbelieving neighbors and all of a sudden it seems the persecution goes away. Why? Because I'm now more careful than I am dangerous to Satan. 
Man, I tell you, this is an amazing quote. I don't know who did it, but it's a great one. If you ever find out, let me know. But here's something a pastor said one time. He said this, this listen. Dangerous times call for faithful men, not careful men. The careful men come later writing the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Man, that, that stings, doesn't it? And I'll say this, as long as there are people dying and going to hell and Satan's running around church, we are in desperate times. The question is, are we gonna be careful or are we gonna be faithful? Are we gonna be careful or are we gonna be dangerous to Satan? And so on one hand, if we're not experiencing any form of persecution, let's evaluate between us and the Lord. Lord, am I being too careful? Lord, am I not shining bright enough? Lord, show me the front lines that you're calling me to get to. And then when we are persecuted, don't be surprised. Expect it. It's gonna happen when we're being used of God. Praise God for that. One more point about that. I, I think of that idea of, Lord, I wanna become a warrior for you. And, and when I think of that, I think of all sorts of characters and movies and stuff. Has anybody uh, watched the movie from Marvel, Black Panther? Anybody seen that one? Yeah, like, yeah, sweet. And um, it's a great movie. You gotta see if you haven't. And, um, and so the guy's tech sister, uh, she comes up with this special suit, the vibranium suit. And uh, the suit is designed to take, uh, you know, he wears it, of course, and any hit, any blow, whether it's a punch, a slap, a kick, a bullet, a car being smashed on him, you know, the everyday life of a Marvel hero, you know, and, and you know, whatever's happening to him, and, and, um, and it absorbs all the kinetic energy of the attacks. Why? So that whenever he wants to, when he's ready, he takes the very energy of the attacks and uses them against his opponent and defeats them. I think you know some, where I'm going with this. Because here's another thing we can learn from Jesus about when we are persecuted, don't fear. Fear not. Why? Because God turns Satan's attacks into his advance. Do you get that? God will always turn Satan's attacks into his advance and it should give us a courageousness and a, and, a, and a fire in our bones because we know that no matter what happens, God didn't just know it was gonna happen to us. He allowed it to happen to us because somehow, someday, some way, he's gonna take the very blows of the enemy that has been against us and he is gonna use it against the enemy themselves to advance his kingdom. That is so awesome to think about that that's what happens. Another way to, to think about it is the old saying that someone plays into the hands of another. You ever heard that before? Like, oh, they played right into their hands. You ever hear that, that, that cliche? And, and what does that mean? That's like, I have an opponent and whatever it is that we're doing. And, um, and, uh, I'm, and they're doing all these moves against me and all these attacks against me. And then all of a sudden when I'm ready, I use the very moves of them and use them against the opponent and defeat them. They played into my hands the whole time. Guys, listen, Satan always plays into the hands of the Father, always. 
There is not one persecution moment of our lives that surprises God. And there is not one moment of persecution in our lives that God isn't also going to very, use that very thing to turn it against the enemy. Satan is smart compared to you and me, but he's dumb compared to God. And he proved it 2,000 years ago. Because think about Jesus' trials and his crucifixion. It was all planned out by God. The whole thing. Jesus purposely went to Jerusalem during the Passover feast to die the Passover lamb for you and I to be saved. Jesus knew the whole thing of Judas betraying him was all planned out and prophesied about. The spear in the side, the beating beaten beyond recognition, the abandonment by friends and family, the whole atrocious events of Jesus' crucifixion was planned by God. But Satan the whole time I was sitting there thinking, yeah, yeah, I'm winning this thing. And then finally, when Jesus took that last breath on the cross, Satan thought, yes, until three days later on that amazing morning, Satan had the rudest awakening ever, didn't he? When Jesus Christ came out of that grave and God took the worst attack ever, in the history of history, the murder of his own son and turned it on that morning to become the greatest advancement of his kingdom. How? Because he defeated Satan, death, hell, and sin once and for all. And now sinners like you and me can actually be forgiven of our sins. And if God can turn the greatest attack into his advancement there, anything that we go through, he can do the same in us. Amen to that. And that should turn within us this idea that I don't have any fear anymore. Yeah, the enemy is going to get blows in there. But I know that God is always going to use those very things to advance his kingdom. And it should give me a, a courageousness in me, shouldn't it? So much so like King David, think of King David. This is how he was able to say, what? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil. Because David knew, even though blows were going to come, he always knew the greater truth that God would take the attacks and turn them into his advancements. And so let me just leave us with this thought. The next time that you are persecuted for following Jesus Christ, the next time that we are mocked by people at school or workplace, fear not. God's gonna take those attacks and turn them into his advance. The next time that we get our words twisted, we get slandered, framed because of our faith in Christ, fear not, God's gonna use it for his advancement. Do we believe that today? That's the question. Because we have the God of the angel armies before us, behind us, surrounding us and working it out for his advancement. Let's stand and let's worship him for that now. My strength is in your name For you alone can 
Jesus never said that we weren't going to have any problems and persecution. Our lives are just going to be a bed of roses. He never said all of that. He said, he said, he said, hey, expect it. It's going to come. But always remember, I'm with you. And as we learned about today, he will always turn it around against the enemy for his advancement. Man, let that encourage us as we go this week and live our faith out in our schools, in our workplaces, in our families. Uh, but I want to say this, I want to leave us with a couple invitations. One, um, I've had the opportunity to pray with some people who, you know, you, you're going through some persecution right now, and I know how that is, and man, you need prayer. It is hard to go through it. Don't go through it alone. Let me come pray, you know, come up and I'll pray for you. Or we have prayer um, outside as well at our prayer station. So get prayed for if that's what you're going through in your life. Also, let's continue to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. And so again, you're gonna get this half sheet guide, a prayer guide, be praying that at home. Parents, let's, let's pray with our kids and, and, and let's pray for uh, believers who are standing for their faith. Also, let's do it together. We have a prayer room uh, here on the campus and we have this map here. It, but basically, if you go through the table building, go and immediately look to the left, you'll see some cool balloons. And those balloons, 
will guide you right to the prayer room of our church. And would you just go there anytime between now and one o'clock and just pray together as well for the persecuted church in that prayer room. And then finally, one more announcement is we have a lunch on the lawn and I'm excited about that. And so if you are new and you don't know about the lunch on the lawn, you are invited. We will have enough food for you. Just stay, come. It's, it's past the table over that direction as well. Just follow the crowd. They're probably going there. Um, but um, come and join us. Now, if you are regular and unfortunately you did not register, um, we still want you there. Just go get your own food and come back. All right. And, um, but we love you and you understand how food planning goes. All right. We are loved. Let's go. You are dismissed. God bless.